theological devotion or scriptural focus can replace an actual relationship with the author of the scriptures, or at least that's how I take that. And that is a strange way to think of idolatry. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Karen. Yes. That's redhead number one. And Tracy. <laughs> Good morning. And Amy. Good morning. That's redhead number two. <laughs> Aren't redheads supposed to be kind of rare? What are you thinking? <laughs> well, I'm thinking redheads are supposed to be kind of right. rare. I think I read. Yeah, I think. I think I read somewhere that you know red red hair is like a strange mutation and it's rare and I feel like I'm just surrounded by them so you know I'm either very lucky or very unfortunate I don't know (laughs) oh gosh so is today the first day of spring I believe it is yeah oh yeah hey look at that yeah I think it is and uh time for snow tomorrow yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, before we were recording, Karen and Amy were talking about how they grow all their vegetables like like crazy people instead of just going to the store, you know, where where normal people get them. <laughs> and uh, but uh, hey, I got okay. Can you hear this? Yeah, that's my that's my mini robin's eggs. Mini robin eggs. Those are my. Oh, I love uh, those things. Oh, they're so good. Oh, that's my. That's going to be my addiction for the next few weeks until Easter. I think this will. Joy. Yeah, I think this will. Uh, this will. This will land sometime probably after Easter. But uh, you can rejoice in the knowledge that the robin eggs are out in the stores right now. So, uh, makes me very very happy. <laughs> I could go through those so much. I don't know what it is I like about not the big ones, not the big robin eggs. It's got to be oh, the. No, mini- they got to be the little ones. The big ones are just too much. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and you put a, you know you put one of the big ones in your mouth, and you're like, I want to like this, I really do, but it's just it's too much. But those little ones, you stick it in your mouth, and it's like, oh joy. So <laughs> I've literally never thought about the difference. Oh, oh, I don't know what it is. I think I think it's just a ratio of malted milk to candy coating and and uh, there's a, it's a science. The connoisseur of candy. Yes. <laughs> it's funny because I was just talking with my wife last night about how I really don't I'm not big on sweets, but there's certain things, certain times of the year that I binge on and I can't get enough until there's like a cutoff date and then I don't want them anymore. So Yes. That's know. like me and, me and literally all candy. It's like, yeah. it's like each, either binge or like one bite is, is like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, uh, I mean, I think I have candy around this house that I probably have had for several, <laughs> probably years because I just, I forget it's there and I go back and go, oh, wow, that's still there. Oh, that, that should go away. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but it, it seems like holidays I get candy, you know, like a lot of times like my wife will buy it for me or something for like a Christmas stocking or whatever. And uh, in fact, right here, I still have some Christmas candy that uh, she gave me Reese's cups. So anyway, uh, and why is Matt overweight? <laughs> anyway, so nothing to do for a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely Maybe we nothing. could connect that one in with Proverbs where there's bits of wisdom to help you solve your issues. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the funny thing. I don't eat it that much. But anyway, anyway, yeah, I like it. Anyway, it has absolutely need nothing to, pray for, to do. We need to pray to be nice and compassionate and caring for one another. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Being Matt so harsh, being so harsh with Matt. Yeah, yeah, Karen. <laughs> Why are you being so mean to me? Gosh. We'll, we'll start next week. Okay, keep going, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of judgments, let's get into our <laughs> let's get into our discussion for today. <laughs> we are going to finish the book of Jeremiah today, chapters what is it, fifty through fifty-two. So we have been seeing for the last, if I counted right, we have been talking for about ten weeks up till now. So this would be week eleven about the book of Jeremiah. There's been other stuff in there too. Habakkuk was in there and whatnot, but. Uh, where we've watched this downfall of 
of um, Israel and Judah. We've just seen this slow progression, at least, may, I don't know, maybe slow to our eyes. I guess if you were there, maybe it would have seemed fast, but, you know, it was over the course of a few kings, uh, several years. I don't remember exactly what, what that time, you know, how long it was, but uh, Israel and Judah had just been taken apart by Assyria and Babylon. And then last week we were talking about um, how all of now the surrounding nations have been kind of dismantled too by Babylon. I mean, even even Egypt, which was kind of surprising to us that such a prominent country that had been, I don't know, it's been a it's just been a big part of biblical history. It seems like, you know, when you look at all their old artifacts, you go, wow, how in the world is it that that country found itself in a downfall like that? But. Now, as we get into the last part of Jeremiah, it starts jumping into the future, and we're going to actually see the downfall of Babylon itself. Now, um, to my knowledge, Jeremiah wouldn't have been around when Babylon was falling, because, I mean, how many years later is that supposed to be? They're, the Israelites are going to be there for later. 70 years. So I don't, th- I, I think it's... I think it's safe to say that Jeremiah isn't writing this as it's happening, that this is definitely looking forward now to Babylon's downfall. Right. This is in that section, you know, where where he's going through all the nations and saying what's going to happen to each of them. So this judgment now is going to come down on Babylon. And I I don't know. Do you suppose God gave this vision to Jeremiah now to give some hope to the Israel or to, I guess, I guess they're Israelites. They're still from the tribes of Israel. But the mm-hmm. how do you say it? Judahites? To give them a little hope, I suppose. To know that this is But you know forever. what? It's, it's kind of happened that way the entire time. He's always dealt out punishment and judgment. And then give, gave inspiration at the end to say, you know what? Listen, I know this is going to be hard, but you got to do it for 70 years. Mm-hmm. He's always given them something to look forward to and to know that he was still with them. Right. This yeah. brings this brings comfort to Daniel later. Like we have record of the fact that Daniel sits down to study the prophecy of Jeremiah because he needs hope. Yeah. So I guess my assessment is is correct and in that I don't know the the whole reading to me and we'll talk about some of the reasons why it seems strange to me but um it was it was just kind of uh after everything we've seen for what transpires now I don't know. It, it, it strikes me odd, funny. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what word I want to use there. But um, after we've seen, we'll get to this, but we've seen, we've seen Babylon being God's tool to now being punished for what they did. So I don't know, just odd. But so Babylon, as our, reader, or our listeners might probably know, is the capital of Babylonia. We've, I guess, we've kind of used that that term interchangeably, where we think of Babylon and, and Babylonia just kind of representing representative of it. And it's about fifty five miles south of Baghdad, what, or I guess I should say modern day Baghdad. Which, okay, now this is interesting to me because it's to me it looked like it was more east of Jerusalem than north, but it's considered north. Amy, you're kind of our, uh, I'll say, expert in in these arenas. Because later on, um, there's talk about Babylon being taken from the north. So why always the north? Is there a... I think it's it's just to do with the fact that they have to come from the north uh, east because because of where all the water is. You know, like uh, they have to come around the edge of the Mediterranean. Okay. Okay, so that yeah, that makes sense. And I but, I looked that up also because I mean I I remember it being the Medes and the Persians who came and knocked Babylon off its you know kingpin throne, and that was and so I, I looked it up on the map and I was like, well, there's only a little bit of the country that's from the that's in the north of Babylon, like most of it was kind of over to the east. So I don't know. I I queried that same reference. I was I didn't really understand it. Yeah, so it's just interesting to me because I mean we see uh, verse three. And it talks about how a nation out of the north comes up against her, Babylon. And and so this would be Medo-Persia. We know this from uh, having studied the Bible before and from uh, understanding at least a little bit of world history. 
And even when we get into later in Daniel and stuff, there's going to be talk about like even more in the future threats coming from the north. And so right. I'm just I just I don't know. I'm just curious if there's a a prophetic purpose for using north because it just doesn't necessarily seem geographically north. But it does make sense, uh, Amy, that they would have had to travel from a certain direction to be able to do it. So. I think it's just, you know, Jerusalem lies on that little strip of land, and then you've got Babylon and Assyria, which lie north and a little east, and then you've got Egypt, which lies, you know, south and a little west. Mm-hmm. So it's it's proximity. It's not exact. But then as we go through the prophecies of Daniel 11, of course, that king of the north, king of the south keeps shifting and expanding. And so yeah. pretty soon it's larger and larger sections of northern europe you know versus you know islam and things like that so Hmm. okay do you know which side of the city i remember when Medo persia came in they came through the river under the city wall it blocked the river and then came through the riverbed under the city wall and that's how they got in past those phenomenal babylonian protection walls which were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world my goodness, I looked up specs on those things this week. Those things were crazy. Anyway, that's, that's cool. how they got in. Do we know which side of the city that was on? Uh, I don't. I don't. The... Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I'd have to, I'll have to look that up. I'm curious. Yeah, that would yeah. be interesting to know. Okay, so it starts out basically, verse 2, Babylon is taken. So like we've talked about, this hasn't happened yet. Uh, Babylon is taken. Bel is shamed. And by Bel, they mean what we've been talking about for a long time as Baal. Um Merodach is broken in pieces. So we're talking about Baal and Marduk. We've talked about these two pagan. Eh, Pagan's not the right word, maybe. But these other gods of the area that people were worshiping a lot, even to the point where here it seems like here I was reading uh, in some of the notes in my in my um, what do we call this? The cultural cultural backgrounds Bible, but where they had kind of combined the two gods to be. Bel Marduk. So they kind of they kind of meshed the two together. But this has been taken. Uh, we're talking about how these these gods are going to be thrown down. And it says, declare it. Don't don't conceal it. So it like this is like God wants it to be known that these false gods are going to be cast down, dealt with, done. I don't know of any worshippers of those gods past the fall of babylon i don't know are are any of you aware of anything like that i mean to the point where i don't even know that we hardly even ever hear of them except for in the bible so the only thing i know is that my sister-in-law is an archaeologist in the middle east and she says that there has been a resurgence of interest in the babylonian gods and that it's more like a sort of a uh People are curious about it, and so there's been a lot published on the internet about these various gods and whatnot, and people are trying to, um, it's almost like how people get into uh, artworks. So anyway, she, she said it's real creepy, actually, the number of people who are interested in these Babylonian gods. Hmm. Is it, I mean, it's not like they're starting up a religion again, is it? Or are they just interested in the history of it? They're not just academically interested, she said, though. A lot of them are, like, getting their bodies tattooed with various symbols from mm. these times and whatnot. Oh, weird. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, wasn't it a while back, like, I mean, I, I think that that sort of resurgence has sort of has come in waves over time. Like, a while back, it was Saddam Hussein, wasn't it, that was like, I'm going to bring Babylon back and I'm going to rebuild and I'm going to, you know, capitalize on that power center. And, you know, and then he never did it. Like he built a big old house nearby, but he never actually rebuilt the city. Like he was saying, he was going to into his epicenter of power. I don't know. It seems like those, those waves of interest have kind of come and gone over the years. Yeah. There's birds, Karen. (laughs) What? I hear the birds. Your birds are. Oh, shoot. Should I shut my window? No, no, it's it's beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> it's fine. They're 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 part of the show. <laughs> but yeah, so so I mean an interest and a widespread religion 
are kind yeah. of two different things. I mean, yeah. we don't really see, I don't know even of, you know, the Egyptian gods really having followers anymore, any more than the Greek and Roman gods. You know, um, I was looking up that this week and, you know, all I can say is I think it comes in, in waves where you have, and if you look, it's it's been really big, like the Ankh and horse's eye and and that kind of thing from Egypt is you see that you see that a lot on tattoos. People get that a lot. I don't think it's yeah. necessarily that they follow the religion, but mm-hmm. it's the symbolism that they have. And I think it's, you know, that kind of classic retro appeal that people have where they'll just put it on their bodies. And a lot of them, some of them do know what it means. Some of them don't know what it means. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. The kind of classic flair to, Oh yeah. I I found this interesting and I'll put it on my body where sometimes I think you need to be a little bit careful about that because it's like, do you really know what you just put on your body? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I think a lot of, I guess I think of a lot of those old religions as being, well, to put it quite bluntly, based in Satan's power. And so, mm-hmm. you know, how much of that do we want to reawaken and channel? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I get, at this point, my, my, my point would be that there's an interest, but not necessarily a faith aspect to it. So when, when you know, when it talks here about how these gods are shamed and, and cast, you know, cast down, I guess cast down maybe didn't say that, but it's my my interpretation here that they're just they're their importance has been taken away they're they're kind of finally dealt with my impression of the ancient world is that it was for the most part polytheistic yeah and that the flattening of one nation by another nation was literal in the sense of this nation goes away and symbolic or faith-based or religion-based in that our god or gods have triumphed over your god or gods which is Mm -hmm. why i mean in a lot of these disputes that israel would get caught up in in the past like i remember david saying you know like we're doing this for your glory like this this battle will be for your glory or god saying no you can only win under these conditions where it will be for my glory so i i think they're I think if you were to go back and actually be in those societies, you would find that there was, because they were so deity-based, I think you would find there was a lot of religious or faith-based things happening of asserting power and maintaining that power in the eyes of the surrounding nations. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. That definitely seems to be the point uh, a lot of times because, well, let's see, who was it? Um, Oh, uh, I think it was the Assyrian king when he was when he was besieging it or, you know, taking out Israel. And he kept talking about don't let your God don't try to think that your God is going to save you because right. <laughs> none of these other gods have saved their have saved their nations. I don't remember if that was Assyria. I think it was. I, I think, think it, it was. was. Assyria. It wasn't that yeah. long ago we were talking about that. Yeah. And and there was definitely a big uh, my God is bigger than your God mentality going on. Well, so. even 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 God. You know, Yahweh, Jehovah, our God Himself has has gone there. You know, by saying to his to his wandering children, there have been a few times where He said, "Oh, now you're going to call for help. Now you're going to call for help. Well, why don't you go call on that piece of wood that you were so excited about and see if that right. will come save you?" Yeah. You know, so there's been the one that a little bit of that too. And you used to cook your food and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. put the map section of this for what we were talking about. So if coming straight from, if you were to go from like Jerusalem straight to Babylon, it would be, you'd want to like almost take a straight shot east, but you can't because there's some waterways there. And what we're thinking is soon, kind of what Amy was saying is, is if you follow the, the waterways, it might be easier to get there. But if you go straight east, there's big areas, big waters, waterways and lakes and that kind of thing that. There isn't a lot of out there. So I'm wondering if there was a lot of, like, it was essentially populated really densely in those areas. So you couldn't really go through there without people knowing what you were going to do. You know what I mean? Mm, so if you go a little bit northeast, then you can kind of avoid the, 
that big lake and then come in where there's almost nothing there. So you'd almost have to they go a little bit northeast and kind of bend around and then drop in from the north. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. Okay. Well, I mean, that definitely that kind of answers that question then, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I think there's also some mountains, but I'd have to look back at a map. I was there just is, thinking about there Daniel. Right, right by the lakes. Oh, okay. I was just thinking about Daniel um, chapter 5, um, where uh, Belshazzar goes and gets the implements of worship that they had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, and he's using them for a party feast. Oof. And that is when God sends, you know, the handwriting on the wall, and that's the night that the um, Medo-Persians come and invade. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's interesting in light of what you've been talking about, about the fact that that's the moment when God says, uh, no, um, you know, enough of this, you know, you cross the line. You crossed a line. Exactly. Because it had to do with the fact that they were dishonoring the implements of worship from the temple. And there again, polytheistic by doing that by taking the worship implements of this foreign from this foreign god's temple they're showing boldly showing their superiority in their own eyes like look what we did and we're going to use this as my i'm going to use this as my you know my red solo party cup and pass the beer please right Mm. yeah exactly very disrespectful and intentionally so in a polytheistic sense. Yeah, and we right. have a hard time relating to that. Uh, we have, I think yeah. we have multiple gods nowadays, but we don't call them gods. So it's a little distracting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's move on from this a bit here. Um, as we move on, it talks about how uh, the children of Israel will come together and seek their God. So, you know, this is looking towards the end of that 70 years then, where God is telling them, my my intentions will have been complete by then. You will have figured it out. You will have realized how good you had it with me, and you will you'll come back, which is what God wanted all along. I mean, that's how many times through Jeremiah, well, through oh gosh, I mean, how long have we been we've been hearing those those warnings come back, come back, and finally, seventy years of of um, exile. And I don't know if their their time in Babylon was similar to the time in Egypt. I've heard some accounts where it sounds like they were kind of enslaved, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Or if it was just they got relocated and, you know, lived their life away from their homeland. I don't know. But at any rate, they're finally going to be actively seeking God again and wanting to come back. And it said they'll they'll want to join God in a perpetual covenant. And I think this is where we see we see the shift of Israel, where uh, unfortunately it kind of becomes uh, too much. You know, by the time of Jesus, where they're they're so entrenched in all of the things that you know, all the things, all the trappings that God talked about, that they kind of forgot that there was reasoning behind all of them, other than to keep them from getting <laughs> taken again. Although they ended up in the, you know, in, in the hands of Rome by that point, but they still were, they still had a certain amount of autonomy, and they held tightly to it. And I think, I think the religious Jews, well, not even not just the religious Jews, but I think Jews in general today, they hold such a uh, a tight grip on their heritage. Now they're very proud of it, don't want to let go of it. Is Maybe that what you is mean why. by trappings? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, when when. I say trappings. It was all the important stuff of the the temple services, um, you know, the 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 laws, keeping the laws exactly right, going going overboard on making sure that you didn't take too many steps on Sabbath, for example. <laughs> and and even even today, some of the things I've heard about that that they do over in Jerusalem on Sabbath, like you can't. You're not supposed to push a button on an elevator to make it go up and down because that's work. And so on Sabbath, the elevators stop at every floor. 
you know, so that you don't have, you're not actually working to make it happen. Or like telephones in hospitals, rather than just pushing the buttons, they have this weird peg system that you put a peg into a hole to, so that you're somehow indirectly making uh, the electrical connections to make a phone call. And it just seems like it's, it's so overblown, so overboard right. that the, the whole point, it seems to be missed. But it seems like because of this time in Babylon, because of that exile of 70 years, a whole generation or two even possibly being pulled away from their homeland that, that was you know supposed to be theirs. Now they're like, we want to be right with God. We were going to do everything we can to be right with God. I was I was along with that. I was reading in another book um, that it just based from this exile. And like you're saying, they wanted to do everything possible that they could do and i think that we got in that self aspect again like they always do that we've seen so many times before they thought they could earn their salvation by making it so legalistic and having so many rules and then lost sight of god's true character yeah that's kind of that's kind of what i'm saying they, they, they yeah yep. they've lost they've lost sight of the character yeah and i think what you're just trying to say is that they're tendency towards idolatry finally is broken mm -hmm. like this is the time when they stop doing that but, but then, then they go we, to another extreme and become very very legalistic yeah and i think too it's like we had, i think we talked about it just last week is that you can make anything your idol mm -hmm. and i think they made i think they made the laws and the legal aspect their idol yeah yeah i remember jesus saying something along the lines of this is like a this is quite the reality check to me. He says he says he said something like, um, "You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, right? But they're actually teaching you of me. So even theological devotion or scriptural focus can replace an actual relationship with the author of the scriptures, or at least that's how I take that." And that is a strange way to think of idolatry. Right, right. It, yeah, it is, because you're thinking, you know, our human nature says, I'm doing all the stuff, doing you know, I'm doing stuff. all the right things, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do the stuff so I get into heaven. And the, and we've completely missed the point, completely missed the mark. And, and it's yeah, it's just another it's just another form of idolatry. And I don't know. I wonder why I wonder why we tend that way. I don't know. So that's a deep the uh, a theological and psychological discussion to to have some time. But, but think about your definition of faith. If faith is you know trusting in Him, but you don't really trust in Him, you think I've got to do this and I've got to do that because otherwise He's going to fry me, or <laughs> you know mm. that sort of thing because you don't really trust Him. Um, so you know. I think that that's exactly where it stems from is just a complete failure to believe that he's good. Yeah. Well, I guess that goes all the way back to Eden then, doesn't it? Yeah. Interesting. Well, I do believe, um, I do believe in what they sort of loosely refer to nowadays in our, in our current understanding as the God gene. I do believe that that's part of us biologically, that we were created with a need to worship something. There's a space inside of us where we reach for higher. But then if you combine that with a fallen nature, and if you think about the definition of faith, like like what Amy was just saying, like in Hebrews 11, it says that faith is, what does it say? The substance of things hoped, hoped. for and the evidence, of things, evidence, not, evidence of things not seen. So if it's things that we don't see, so we have this internal, you know, biological put there by God craving for to have something over us to have a framework and authority over us and yet in our fallen nature we'd really like to see it and we can't so if you combine those two things i think you end up with a whole lot of us finding diminished versions of something we can worship mm, and then like putting a that. whole lot of time and effort into worshiping them and hardly ever pausing to notice that we're kind of hosing ourselves by doing that because we're actually missing the real god Wow. Yep. Okay, so here's some here here's an I see an interesting dichotomy here. Verse 7 talks about how Israel's adversaries they say we've not offended because we've 
um, because Israel sinned against God. But yet we get to like verse 31, and then God is saying, behold, I'm against you, talking about, in this case specifically, Babylon. I think we've probably mentioned it before on the podcast, but it's just, I think it bears, it bears more discussion or at least thought about this. How do we reconcile that Babylon was doing God's will and punishing Judah, but now God is punishing Babylon for it? There's a, there's a discrepancy there in my brain that I try to, I try to come to a conclusion and I can't. I think of this, this aspect of scripture every time I vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think that governments now are really any different than governments then, right? It's the fallen trying to govern the fallen for whatever purpose they are working towards, be that whatever that is. And, you know, the, the Bible says very clearly that God sets up our earthly authorities and he takes them down. That he That as soon as they put their roots down, he can just take them away as if they're grass. It says that. So, but I think he uses those human rulers to move the earth through the phases of awareness that we need to have in order to be ready for his return. I think that's the primary, if you were to look down at the earth from God's perspective, my guess is that's a very simplistic version of of his point of, you know, like what is the point of human government? So with that in mind, he said earlier that he's going to send Babylon to do his bidding, that it's time for Judah to be punished. This is the Mm -hmm. form it's going to take. And the people who run away will die. Right. That Mm -hmm. that if you want to be part of the remnant of Judah that is brought back, you need to go into captivity in Babylon. You cannot split and go over here to Egypt and think that you're going to be safe. If you sidestep Judah's punishment, you will mm-hmm. be eradicated. The mm-hmm. remnant that is going to be kept safe is going to go into Babylon and then they will be brought brought back in this many years. So every time I go to vote, I think to myself, <laughs> from my tiny little perspective, I think that this person is the best choice of multiple fallen, flawed choices. And I believe that God works through wide consensus to set up and take down leaders that will do certain things. And I think it's a very interesting aspect of watching the world develop. Mm. End end of speech. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. it, it, It is interesting. And it's just, it's odd to consider that these things happen. And I'm reluctant to say because it's what God wants to happen, but it's kind of what God wants to happen. And um, I think sometimes we just look at it through that lens of us only seeing a small bit of the picture mm-hmm. where God sees it all. Yeah. Where oh. We're trying to rationalize it within our own framework and we just can't do it. But I think, too, that it also plays into that, once again, that self kind of concept where, where God is saying, sometimes you need to be refined through the fire. And you need to go and do your 70 years and you need to learn the lessons and you need to get refined and closer to me and then come back. You can't escape it. I sometimes wonder about the aspect of witnessing, because I think part of what had happened, of course, is that the the people had been sort of absorbed with their own importance and they kept themselves away from the world. And that tendency is strong in a lot of groups. And yet God repeatedly tells them during this time, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. Please like tell the world. Well, so what ends up happening, of course, is they go into the captivity and who learns about the almighty God? Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and there's, there's this interesting story in the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar learns to know the Lord. And, and it was like, That is an aspect of it that we don't always remember. You know, their sinfulness is what Jeremiah mostly talks about. But throughout the Old Testament and much more in the New Testament, we're told that, you know, our purpose is to go tell everyone, hey, God loves you. 
And they weren't doing that. They were like, well, those other people don't wash their hands enough. I don't want to touch them or come near them. And yet when they finally are taken into the captivity, Nebuchadnezzar is converted. Yeah, big picture versus small picture. We see the we see the right here, right now. Yeah. Um, yeah but we don't know what's going to happen later. Um, and we tend to think of things in terms of our story. And if I'm suffering, then things must be bad. You know, well, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 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 the 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 suffering, suffer the fucking fact, <laughs> <laughs> the suffering. The suffering often builds character for us, I guess. And we don't like to think of it that way. So so two things. I think first, I think that's spot on, that observation that the message is supposed to be God loves you. Let me introduce mm-hmm. you. The message is not supposed to be God loves me. Look how many times I wash my hands. Like that's not it. That's not the message. So that's that's just a, a reaction to what you guys were just saying. What I was actually mm-hmm. gonna say a while back was you know, there's a text in Revelation that talks about how, you know, after the second coming, like the first thousand years in heaven is going to be spent with the saints judging. Mm-hmm. Right. The judgment books are opened and the saints get to see the unabridged version of what happened on Earth. Finally. Mm-hmm. So. Like, if you think about just the shenanigans that people on Earth and the governments and whatever have gotten up to just in the last two years, don't you think it's going to take a thousand years of combing over those books to even start to make sense of what we've seen? Like, half the time I can't even figure out where the truth lies. You got one side shouting about this and the other side shouting about that, and and it just seems like the the divide between the two quote unquote sides is getting wider. Like, well, you're either for this or you're against, or you're against this, and there's no in between. It's like, well, how come there isn't any in between? I kind of don't like much of anything that's going on. You know what I mean? So I think that when I look at when I look at situations like Judah, you deserve a spanking. Here's how you're going to be put over God's knee, right? Babylon's going to come get you, and then here's what's going to happen, and it's going to last this long, and then he's going to bring you back. And then and then don't worry, because at the end of that, he'll punish your captor. And then sure enough, here we are again. Here's what the punishment of Babylon is going to take place. How's it, how's it going to look? Here's what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And don't you think that's happened multiple times through history, and don't you think it's happening now? And oh my goodness, give me a look at those judgment books because I'm so tired of being confused. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just think the other side of that maybe is that we will someday find out all of the factors that, you know, came into people's decisions. Like we don't always know what sort of abuse that someone has suffered or the fears that they're working under. And that during that time when we're able to look deeply into causes You know, we may find out that someone that on the surface just looked like a horrible, horrible human being was was really a hurting, hurting human being. Um, And I I think there's going to be a lot of that. And and I think Jesus was so good at that. You know, he would go to the, the most unlikely individual and cut right to the chase as far as what was hurting them. And suddenly they were set free. And and I think, wow, you know, if we could learn to see people like he saw them, you know, we could really change the world. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, you know, we tend to we uh, we tend to forget that people are the way they are, probably because of things that have happened in their past, and yeah. they are even if they're horrible, horrible people, you know, or we view them as horrible people. Right. Something got them to that point. They probably didn't come out of the womb that way. Probably. <laughs> You know, and if they did, let's hear it for genetic influences. And how do you judge that? <laughs> did they even have a chance? Right, right. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, um. So one, yeah, one more thing before we, I know we got to move on, but yeah. so one more thing. Um, I just was reading this text in connection with something else yesterday, but it it came to mind. So First uh, Corinthians four five. Therefore, judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Amen. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I'm at. Like, why is Babylon doing this? Why is president so-and-so doing that? 
why is the parliament doing this? Why is, why, 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 why? You can look around the world. You can ask that question so many times. Your head will just be spinning trying to keep up with the changes that are happening. And, you know, Babylon and Judah and, and then the Medes and the Persians coming in later and all these, all these prophecies about how Babylon's going to fall. That is all part of that. I like this verse in 51 verse 5. For Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah yeah. of his God of the Lord of hosts, though their land is filled with sin against the Holy one of Israel. So even in the midst of all that, he's, he is letting them know. I still got you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 51 starts, I will raise up against Babylon. Mm-hmm. So this is, I mean, this is a promise that, that Babylon's going to be dealt with. And I can only imagine at the time of people being carried off, we've seen, is or uh, Judah carried off sort of slowly over the course of oh I don't know was it years. three or four kings but years mm-hmm. and as people just have seen have seen the nation just taken apart taken apart taken apart and you know kings hauled off and a new king comes in that king gets hauled off you know and and it's all coming from Babylon and to hear that no nah, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of Babylon. You're, it'll, it'll be okay. Okay, easier said than if you're the one that got carried oh, yeah. off, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where it gets messy from the human perspective. It's like, hmm, there's a lot going down here at the tiny level. And mm-hmm. and when you're in that, it sure is hard to keep that bird's eye view thing going. You mm-hmm. know, like, if God was God, couldn't he have stopped it from happening in the first place? Why well, is he? That's is one he of the in power or is he not in power? That's questions. Yeah, that's one of the big arguments that people have even now. It's always, you know, why does God let bad things happen? Well, you know, when we were talking about Habakkuk, I think we talked a lot about about that, why things happen that we view as bad. Like, uh, well, like Tracy's been saying, you know, big picture versus small picture. My my tiny uh, um, perspective versus, uh, you know, universal perspective. Verse 9 in chapter 51 kind of stood out to me. We would have healed Babylon, but she's not healed. What do you think? What did you think of that? Because, uh, like Amy, you said, uh, Nebuchadnezzar does learn about God, mm-hmm. but Babylon doesn't get fixed, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd be interested in the word in the original language here because, okay, so I've got a parallel Bible. So I've got two translations and two paraphrases side by side. So if I read New King James, it says, we would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. But if I read that same thing in NIV, we would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. That's a different Mm -hmm. statement. And that makes Mm -hmm. me want to pull up a commentary and go back and look at the original language and see, like, what is that? You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. So, are you, I mean, is your question about being healed or the would have or couldn't? Well, there's a difference between is not and cannot. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to try to see if I could figure something out here with this. Uh, I told you a couple of weeks ago about um, this uh, phone app that you can get called Accordance. And then you can look up these. Um, I have these... Accordance. I love it. Yeah. I don't, did I? Who told? Oh, no. One of our other friends told me about it. But. Um, it's not working well, for me. just while you're looking that up i um i hmm. want to point out in revelation uh 18 verse 5 <clears throat> it says for her sins have reached unto heaven and god hath remembered her iniquities and so throughout of course the book of revelation we have all these references back to the sins of babylon and the desire of babylon to be involved in you know the the commerce of all the countries and and that's um, you know she's got her fingers in everything and in the book of Revelation, Babylon is a a symbol for this mixing of like church and state and the power of um, you know church over the commerce of the world, you know that sort of thing and it's kind of an interesting play on what had happened in ancient history. That is interesting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I can't seem to find a a, a a meaning of the word. I could probably try to pull, try to pull out my big one, but it, it's making me wonder if it was even in the original 
if it was even in the original text mm-hmm. as wood or if it was um, added later, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to belabor that anymore because it's I think it's just interesting that it seems like there there was a potential for Babylon to be healed. But I don't know, maybe the corruption there was just so deep seated that there's at that point nothing more that could be done. And it was just an I don't know, it was an interesting statement there that it, even with Babylon, God would have liked to have seen uh, something more happen there with them. Well, look at verse 29 and 51. The land shall tremble and sorrow for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabits, um, inhabitant. Um, the verse before that is talking about the invasion of the Medes and the Persians and how they will come against it. They will come against Babylon. And so back to Karen's point, you know, God sets up kings and he takes them down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it, it is in God's hands. And to me, that's one of the, the great purposes of prophecy is the fact that we live down here in the muck and the mire. And it's so hard to see what's going on. It's so hard to comprehend all the weirdness. And yet. If you look at the prophecies and you look at Jesus' understanding of the prophecies, you go, okay, he's in control. He's got this. I don't need to be afraid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 51 is just, it's filled with all this different imagery, all these different uh, phrases and things that are, they're against Babylon. You know, there's talk, you're my battle axe and weapons of war. Sounds to me like that's probably talking about Medo-Persia going against Right. Um, Babylon, behold, I'm against you. You know, you're going to go from a destroying mountain to a burnt mountain. So that's like almost like uh, I was reading. It's like a, an active volcano versus now a dormant volcano where Babylon is just losing its power. It's going to lose all of its um, all of its oomph that it had. And it's going to, I don't know, it doesn't so much fizzle. It just kind of gets, it just gets kind of taken away. You know, talking about Nebuchadnezzar has devoured me. It's just, it's more of that Nebuchadnezzar was doing what God wanted done to, to Judah, but maybe he went too far. Maybe he did more than he needed to. Well, I mean, God's always got room for people to be saved. And even in this, even in, in, in this dismantling of, of <clears throat> Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, and we've seen it with other nations in the past. Well, Assyria was wiped out quickly after taking over Israel. It's a, it's like God's like, okay, here's a here's a little rope. Don't hang yourself with it. Oh, nope, too late for that. So I think a little bit more of what's going on is the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was doing the Lord's will, but his descendants were, you know, debaucherous partiers who were not um, men of discipline and war. And they were... You know, because there's a lot as we continue through the passage about, you know, drunkenness and your delicacies. And so there's this sense in which they're just living off of the the wealth of Babylon and they're a bunch of party animals who are not watching their borders. Mm-hmm. You know, I would agree with that, too, is that when we look at those in the, the following few verses is that I think once again, and we say this a lot, is that self got involved it's you know what we're conquering the then known world and right. your your fighters where does it say there? your strong men their might has failed and they've become like women uh-huh. and it's like okay I'm, I'm getting karen fired up i'm waiting careful for tracy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know oh, I, is that a there, there's two aware. there's two of them here now tracy I know. And, you know, the thing is, <laughs> now they're just sitting on their accolades of, you know what, we've destroyed the known world. What more do we have to prove? And then that whole self kind of downfall starts to play into it. Where Nebuchadnezzar might be learning his lessons in the palace, his his nation is not as on a whole. So I looked up an <laughs> online strong concordance on that text about... We would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed versus, but she is not healed. So when you get down to that cannot or is not phrase, it is, it is not with verb absolute prohibition. That is, that is the exact words in strong. So basically impossible. It is impossible for her to be healed. Uh, 
So that's yeah. where they got that. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, that makes sense with a lot of things where we see, you know, like when Israel was supposed to go in and wipe out some of these nations when they went when they were first coming into the promised land. And, you know, we've seen that those nations had had 400 years to get it right, which tells me that God had in some fashion or another been working with them and that just wouldn't turn around. It just wasn't there wasn't, wasn't going to happen. There was and the no nature of evil, I believe, is progressive. So I think one of Satan's most insidious, sneaky things is to portray evil as a soft, fluffy kitten. It's not progressive. It doesn't lead you where you don't want to be. It's just this small, adorable thing that you like, and you're not hurting anyone. But the nature of evil is progressive. So if Satan can get you to water down your beliefs enough to hook into something that is the beginning of evil, I think that's what God was dealing with when he works with nations for a few hundred years or for this many generations or for whatever like that, is it's the progression, it's the overall state of character of this group of people and then the individuals within that group who are watching the group and living it. And I think that is as strongly true today as it was in previous generations. Wow, I'm really philosophical today. I feel like I just should be That was good, though. I liked it. That was good. (laughs) This is why I allow Karen on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I will not use the word need. I will say allow. (laughs) (laughs) She's pretty smart. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I mean, we're, we've, we are seeing that Babylon is going to have its downfall. Uh, it's not going to happen for another 70 years from the time that, that well, I, I, I'm guessing that from the time this is written, it's going to be pr- approximately 70 years. Because does that 70 years begin as uh, as Judah was starting to get taken away? Oh, or wait. does it begin I, after I, I, Zedekiah? Maybe it would say because I mean, this has been going on since at least since Jehoiakim. I don't know if it was starting with Jehoahaz or not, but um, but I don't know if that 70 years begins with Zedekiah's departure or if it began with the siege, you know, with uh, which I think began with with Jehoiakim. At any rate, it isn't yet. It's going to happen. We're going. We're going to read about it eventually. Uh, once we get down into, well, I guess once we get to Daniel, we'll see it. I don't know. Okay, um, but it's so five eighty six BC. Yeah, I just looked that up. Yep. Right. <laughs> 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 so five 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 eighty six BC is when they consider the seventy years to have started. Yes. Okay. And, because so, that's and, the fall of Jerusalem. And then 538 BC is uh, Daniel chapter five when Babylon was taken. So roughly that. Okay. Do we know when 586 falls in relation to those kings of of Judah then? It's not super important. It's just a. It's just interesting. It's just interesting. Yeah. It says in um, 52 verse five. So the city was besieged in the 11th year of King Zedekiah. Is that what you were wondering about? Well, I'm wondering when the 70 years starts. Does it start with the siege or does it oh. start with the with Zedekiah being hauled off I or or sooner? Because, well, what's 538 plus 70? Let's just figure out where we're at here. We know when Babylon fell like that's clear. Not super, super uh, important to um, to the discussion, I guess. Yeah, because the fall of Jerusalem was such a gradual thing. It's like, man. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a sudden. It wasn't a sudden deal. It was, you know, we got puppet kings set up who were the next, you know, probably going to be the next in line anyway. But they sort of were set there as puppets, and then they didn't want to. They didn't want to play ball, like Zedekiah actively uh, uh, rebelled, and then he tried this, to run off, but they captured him. Was this the? Was the seventy years? I might be mixing up my prophecies. Um, but was the 70 years the one where it said to the going forth of the command to rebuild? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Okay. So maybe it's maybe it doesn't maybe it's not well, over when Balin falls. Hmm. Right. Well, I it wasn't a Babylonian king that gave the command. Right, right, because you get the well, native anyway, Persians so in there, and I, I think we're mixing up two things because the um, the command to go and rebuild Jerusalem is the beginning of the um, the twenty three hundred day year oh, prophecy, yeah, and um, and of course Daniel's living in the time of the seventy year prophecy of Jeremiah. Yeah. So I'm I'm getting confused as to what what we're trying to find here, but yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty clear that when Nebuchadnezzar invades full on invades Jerusalem, he besieges the city and then he comes in and he burns down the temple and they take all the implements and that's 586 BC. So that is the that's like the I think he invades three times, but the full invasion when he actually comes into the city and burns down the temple is 586. Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, just a, you know, a bit of interest there. Just curious. Curiosity. Um, but not... Uh, That'll teach um, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt wants to know something. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, that that is the that is the prediction of what's going to happen to Babylon. And then Jeremiah 52, the last book of the, of the... The last chapter of the book, I should say. The whole thing is about reviewing what had then has happened to Jerusalem, the whole fall of Jerusalem. I mean, we could go through everything that happened, but we've basically talked about it all before. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, unless there's something really big there that sticks out to you, to me, it, it, the, I'm just curious about the emotional quotient here, where mm-hmm. we have watched, we have watched, as Abraham was promised a land, we have watched as uh, Jacob's children went into captivity in uh, Egypt. We've seen them come out. We've seen them uh, build up uh, a, a nation that then gets split up into into two pieces, and you know, the, you know, a very brief time of glory for them. But we've seen this rise and fall, and we've been we've been talking about it for quite you know that for quite a while. But then just even just this final fall, this final gradual fall of of Judah through the book of Jeremiah, is there an emotional quality to it for you? Because it kind of is to me. It's like it's a I don't want to say letdown. It's um. I don't I don't really quite know how to put it into words, I guess, but where where we've seen this glory and now we've seen it kind of gone. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's horrible here in the middle around verse nine. You know, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and here's Zedekiah and Jeremiah has been warning them over and over again. Don't put your trust in the in the Egyptian gods. They can't save you. They can't save you. You know, submit to Babylon and then here, here he comes. Here comes the king of Babylon. He takes Zedekiah captive and puts out his eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, he slaughters his children in front of him and puts out his eyes. And I just, I can't imagine anything more horrible, but he really made the wrong choice. You know, he was told over and over again, trust in God. And God says, submit to Babylon. And he just wouldn't do it. Yeah, we see Zedekiah's, yeah, eyes, eyes put out, his children killed so that that's the last thing he sees. That's awful. And we see the temple. The city could just get plundered and burned and people getting carried off. Some of them are left behind to take care of land. But everything that was any kind of wealth for Israel is carried off to the point where, I mean, they're, they're, they're busting up those, uh, you know, the, what they call it, the sea, that big bronze. Oh, yeah, that thing was huge. You'd have to bust that up to. Yeah, there's no way they carried that off. You know, they probably broke it up and, and carried it away. And, you know, bronze now where stuff was at one point gold. And so, you know, even that hasn't happened quickly. Maybe that's a lesson for us to take from this, too, where our downfalls don't generally come quickly. They come from a series of a lot of times just bad decisions. Poor choices. Exactly what I was going to say. Poor choices. I was saying about the nature of evil before, like 
if Satan came at us and evil always looked evil, rather Mm -hmm. than just looking like a small sidestep in this moment to something that you want anyway, Mm -hmm. right? If that was the case, then no one would do it. Like only truly evil people with horrible intentions would engage in evil, would engage in sin, stepping away from God's law and priorities. But instead, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons that it says in the it says in the Bible, you know, woe to them who call evil good and good evil, because humans fall for it and it, then it skews their choices. And the next thing you know, they've stumbled off the path into the weeds. And the mm-hmm. next thing you know, they're lost. But yeah, I, I think that's one of the more sinister ploys of Satan is to just simply make evil not look evil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it it doesn't. It's it's not the big acts of evil that we get yeah. taken up in. We yeah. it's the it's the little it's those little choices that get small, made, and it's the small, cute sins that make sense in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that is a kind of a lesson to us to watch out for those things uh, and and don't let them keep accumulating. Find, you know, find those times when God is telling you to turn around and come back. You know, listen when he's saying that. Don't get to the point where you have to have everything taken away before you've learned your lesson. Because that's really that's really where that's really where uh, uh, the nation of Israel and Judah is at this point. They've just had to have the toys taken away. They couldn't handle them. They they uh, just stopped listening. And uh, so you know we don't want to we don't want to fall in that that same that same boat. And it should have us considering maybe where we are in our life. How close are we to having to have the toys taken away? Because if we think we're doing everything great, uh, got some news for you. We're probably not. And um, even if you personally are doing well, how's your nation doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, 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 and how do we define doing well? <laughs> you know, how do we come up with a definition of, of I'm doing just fine? You know, if everyone who did right in their own eyes was doing, how did that go? Well, every time it said everyone did right in their own, what was right in their own eyes, we've seen how it always went bad for the nation. Always went went south. One last little tidbit here that I thought I don't know I thought it was interesting where it talks about how many people were carried away by Nebuchadnezzar, and the total is only forty six hundred people. Did that? That seems like a tiny amount of people. Did you see that in uh, I think it was verses twenty eight through thirty? Yes. Yes. I mean, is that just me, or do you think we're only talking about the city of of? Jerusalem. I mean, we tend to think of it as this giant city, but by today's standards, it probably wasn't that big. But it just doesn't seem like very many. But yeah, I kind of wonder. Sorry. No, go ahead. You probably know more about it than I do. No, I was just wondering, like, how many died in the famine, and then, of course, uh, you know, there's there was some cannibalism and things that went on during the oh, siege yeah. of Jerusalem, and so. You know, how many had survived? And then I guess those questions go through my mind. And isn't this also, you know, sort of the third time that the invasion has encroached on them and were there others taken? That's a good point. So maybe it was like this time he took Mm -hmm. these last 4,600 people. I don't know. Well, no, because let's see. That's this after this, like there's the total. In the seventh year of Nebuchadnezzar, he took a little over 3,000. In his 18th year, he took just over 800 oh, and see, in his yeah, yeah. yeah and then in his 23rd year he took uh, about just under 750 so i don't know that just didn't seem like very many people but maybe there weren't that many people living in the city i don't know just uh i was i was just surprised by by that number i would have expected I, I thought the same thing. yeah i would have expected more but i don't know if it's just if it's staying relative to the city itself Maybe it makes more. Maybe maybe it makes a little more sense. And then, of course, yeah, those those numbers being depleted by people dying from other stuff going on at the same time. I don't know. I don't know. Just uh, an interesting, interesting, interesting thing to happen. But so, yep, we have seen. I I think this is basically it. I think this is basically we've seen the downfall of. Judah at this point. Uh, I don't know that we really revisit it much. I think we we shift now into that exile time 
in our readings. So there's the, it, it, it it's sort of like to me coming to the end of a, of a, of a, of a book. I mean, we're not, I mean, we're coming to the end of Jeremiah, but you know, when you've, when you've seen the rise and fall of something and, and it's done at all, and I don't know, it almost leaves like an empty spot in my heart because, you know, this is what this was supposed to be this great thing for God. And these people were supposed to be having this amazing way of serving God and, and showing the world what God is all about and what he's like. And, and we see that it just ended up in utter failure. Yeah. It's gut wrenching. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not alone on that. Yeah. Well, and you know, like I said before, the Jewish people still remember back to these things and, uh, you know, a lot of their, festivals and things festivals maybe that's the wrong way to put it think but but the things they observe now are in relation to this exile time i think I'm not 100 percent sure but while we're recording this i think they the jewish uh, population would be talking in their their time of i think it's called purim where they are celebrating um uh esther mm-hmm, esther yeah yeah, Esther, and and the way that she was able to influence the king that she that she uh, ended up marrying, and and uh, being a huge influence for the for the people of the of the time, the the Jewish people haven't forgotten it, and we shouldn't forget it. Uh, I think that's the biggest reason. That's one of the biggest reasons, and it's in the Bible and why it's taken up so much of um of our of our reading and, and our and our study on it is it's very important and it shouldn't be forgotten what what psalm is it there's one of the psalms that's a memory of this event and i I can't think which one it is but you know they're they're on the they're on the banks of the river and they're looking back and 137 what is it 137 maybe something like that hang on Um, it's pretty. Yeah, there it is. Thank you. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Oh, wait, I was right? Yeah, you were right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. Uh, yeah, so it's just, O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed. So they're just, they're looking back at their own demise and the fact that they're going off into the captivity. A lesson learned which was the whole point. Well, I think that will wrap up our time for this week. Next week, we are going to, I think we're going to look at the entire book of Lamentations. It's five chapters long. So uh, we can we can read the book of Lamentations and we can see where we go from there as we, as we shift now perspective, I think, from this, this grand scope of Israel to now this looking back on what they've lost. And so... While our listeners are reading that and waiting for us, remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can find us on Facebook, where you can actually look and listen directly from Facebook. <laughs> Licking. <laughs> Cutting room floor. Wow. Yummy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we are delicious. <laughs> you can look for us on you can look for us on Facebook. Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and relatives. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks for listening.